I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. Coming to you on a glorious Sunday evening. Arsenal have been to Stamford Bridge and won and leapfrog Manchester City and go back on top of the pile, top of the Premier League, with just one game to go in the league, that is, before, of course, the World Cup kicks off. What a day, what a performance, so much to be positive about, so much to be excited about, so much to reflect on. And I can't wait to get into that this evening with you all. And to top it off, Spurs were beaten as well, which always helps, doesn't it, in terms of uh, completing the weekend, shall we say. (laughs) Uh, Let's say a few hellos to people in the chat. Big hello to Henry, uh, to Afsar, to Junior, to Nav, to Delisu, to Dez. Um, to Clock and Seb, to Wesbird, to Trevor, to Patrick, to Elia, to Davidson, to Angel, uh, to Gangle, to Junior Gunner, and uh, everybody else with us live right now. Be sure, if you haven't done so already, to please leave a like on the video. Uh, it really, really does help. And also make sure that you're subscribed to the channel if you're new. If you're listening to us on an audio platform, then be sure to leave us a review there too. That also really, really helps. Uh, Big hello to Michael, uh, who says, nice to catch you live again. Good to have you here, my friend. A big hello to Jimmy Flo, uh, to Mohammed, um, to Chris, uh, to Robert, who says, what a day, Harry lad. Absolutely. And to Paul, who says, uh, love Xhaka. Calmness personified, winding up the Chelsea players and then dropped the F-bomb in an interview. Classic, unbelievable stuff, wasn't it? Really, really good to see. So, Let's talk you through the day. How was the day? I want to know how the day was for you guys as well, because, listen, I've had a crazy busy week. I've been really, really tired. Towards the back end of the week, I started to feel really burnt out, really run down. I was struggling. I was at QPR yesterday covering their dull game against West Bromwich Albion. I mean, I'm trying to be polite, but that's exactly what it was. It was awful. It was freezing cold. It was chucking it down with rain. And I got home last night and um, and I was out of it. I was knackered. And I, I sort of put my stuff down and, and you know, had a quick shower and, and sat down and put my feet up on the couch. And, you know, when you want to watch a film because you want to make something of your evening, but you're also too tired to do it and you know that you're going to fall asleep. So there's that part of you that doesn't want to watch anything that you actually have to concentrate or pay attention to. Bear with me. There is a point to this story. That's how I was last night. And so instead of spending my time watching a film or watching Match of the Day or or doing anything like that, I just sat there and kind of stared into space and was thinking about how the game might go today. And, you know, sometimes you, you get a feeling about a game. And my feeling was a bad feeling. My feeling was, you know, it's it's an early kickoff. The atmosphere is going to be dead, which you think would benefit us being the away side, but that, you know, Arsenal's fans might not be, uh, you know, quite at their usual level because of that. I was thinking about the journey, you know, how am I going to get to Stamford Bridge, given that there were some issues with certain train lines. And it just it just all felt like it was going to be a shit day, basically, overall. And, and that's how I, I felt about it. And I got up this morning. And I looked out the window and it was windy and it was rainy and the train I was initially going to get was cancelled. And so I had to get a cab to take me to another station, which was out of my way. And then I got towards Stamford Bridge and uh, one of the trains that I was then due to change onto was delayed. And then eventually it turned up. I got to uh, Fulham Broadway station, come out the station and it is raining cats and dogs open up my umbrella, had a little umbrella in the side bit of my bag, open it up, the wind blows the shit out of it, it turns itself inside out or wherever it is that happens to umbrellas, you know what I'm talking about, Uh, and it broke essentially and I had to bin it, so then I had to walk the rest of the way to Stamford Bridge with my hood up and yeah, it was just, I got in there and I got into the press room and it was ram-packed and you know, everybody was already settled and in their places and I've obviously come a little bit later than I would have liked because of the travel issues. And then I get in and, you know, I make my way out into the press seating and I I plug in my 
piece of kit and I start dialing into the studio and it's not working and I've got to call through to the studio and see if there's any issue at that end and they tell me it's all fine and and so it's all good and and then I'm dialing up constantly and still no response it's still not happening it's still not working and I'm just sitting there thinking this is going to be a shit day and how bloody wrong was I because what a day it turned out to be what a day it turned out to be and if I could trade that every week I make my personal luck on the day in terms of getting in and all of that shit but it means that Arsenal get the result then I'll do it every single time I really would I really really would because the pride I felt today coming out of Stamford Bridge having just watched that um you know is is something that just reminds me that Mikel Arteta Edu this new group of players they've given us our football club back and whatever happens between now and the end of the season look people keep talking about the Premier League title I still maintain that I don't think we have enough depth to go on and win the Premier League title I don't think that that is on the cards but what we are doing with each passing week is opening a gap between ourselves and some of the competitors around us some of the sides that you'd have expected to be in the race for the top four alongside us so that's good that's a positive and you know just kind of take each week as it comes and you know yeah we went and we won at Leeds and we didn't play very well and we dropped points at Southampton and we responded against Nottingham Forest but this was Chelsea away now, I know people point to the recent record that we've had there and say, well, it's been good there. This wasn't a surprise. This was coming. No, you still don't feel like that. I don't think anyway. When you go away to other members of the traditional big six, I still think that you are well within your rights to feel nervous. And, and that was me today. Um, big question about what Mikel Arteta was going to do at left back. Was Kierantini going to get the nod? Um, was he going to continue in the team after his... Uh, showing against uh, Zurich just on Thursday night. Obviously, Tommy Asu was injured, who might have played otherwise, but it was the return of Alexander Zinchenko too. And there was a part of me that when I saw Zinchenko's name on the team sheet, so that I, I saw that he was starting ahead of Tini, there was a part of me that was surprised because, you know, this is a guy who's been out for a number of weeks, a guy who we don't know, um, you know, how fit he is. We don't know what his match sharpness is like. We don't know if he's going to be up to speed. And, and put it this way, Stamford Bridge, Chelsea away, is not somewhere to to take risks. It's not somewhere to gamble on. You know, it's a place that is notoriously difficult to go. And I know we've had a good record there in recent times, but throughout the last 10, 15 years, we've not been very good there, generally speaking. And so, yeah, you go there and, and you're worried and you wonder if this is the right call from Mikel Arteta. But then you start to think about it. Then you start to process that information sort of in the hour between getting the team news and then obviously kickoff. And you think, well, this is Arsenal's best 11. The 11 that Mikel Arteta picked today is Arsenal's best 11. When everybody's fit, when everybody's available, that for me is Arsenal's best team right now. It's white at right back. I know that will cause some debate. I know some people still prefer Tommy Asu, but he has been a revelation there, Ben White and deserves to continue. Zinchenko, when he plays in that left-back position and drops or, or steps into the midfield and creates us that overload, gives us a totally different dynamic. Our dominance level increases dramatically when Zinchenko plays because we have that extra amount in midfield. Does it leave spaces in the left-back area? Sometimes. And there were a couple of occasions in the first half, I thought, where Chelsea looked to exploit that, where they played those passes in behind the area uh, that Gabriel and Zinchenko would normally sort of marshal between them. And they were able to find that space because Gabriel would be pulled out slightly wider in order to go and confront someone because Zinchenko would get caught further up the field or infield. But that's a risk that Mikel Arteta is willing to take. And when the game started, I thought you saw a confident Arsenal. You saw an Arsenal side that believed that they could come here and win. You saw an Arsenal side that felt as though they were the better team. There was almost a, a kind of a mentality shift in the sense of, you know, normally over the years when we've gone to places like Stamford Bridge, and again, I know the Stamford Bridge example isn't great because of the recent results there, but when you talk about going away to some of our competitors, there's been this kind of inferiority complex that has followed us around and that has haunted us. But instead, 
you felt it was the other way around today. You felt that Chelsea themselves thought that they were the inferior side by the way they set up, the way they dropped deep, the way they feared us, the way they feared us on the break and so didn't take too many risks going forward. The way Graham Potter was speaking, the mood and the vibe inside the stadium. I mean, we talk about atmospheres and we talk about how sometimes in the Premier League, the atmospheres are not up to standard and not up to scratch. And, you know, at times we've been critical of our own stadium and and how that atmosphere has been. Stanford Bridge is as bad as they come. I'm sorry to say it. You know, if there are any Chelsea fans watching it, I doubt it. It's not personal Chelsea fans, but um, your atmosphere is awful. It's dull. It's boring. It's dead. It's And it's not just something that I experienced this time. It's something I've experienced the last few times that I've been there. And obviously the game begins. And as I say, Arsenal look really controlling, really dominant. Um, you know, Gabriel Jesus, I've got to give a massive shout out to him because he won't get the plaudits today because of the fact that he didn't score and that he missed a couple of good opportunities. He won't get the plaudits. The plaudits will go to the defenders. The plaudits will go to, um, you know, the likes of Bakayo Saka again and Gabby Martinelli, et cetera, et cetera. And that's fine. But the work that Gabby Jesus put in this afternoon was unbelievable. Now, if you take away the disciplinary issues, right, with with Aubameyang, I'm going to speak about him. Let's get it out of the way. If you put to one side the disciplinary issues and, and the actual crux of the problem that Mikel Arteta had with him in terms of him as a character and him as a professional, and you look at football only, and you focus on his football ability only, and you focus on what he brings to a team in comparison to Gabriel Jesus. You have to say that Mikel Arteta was totally vindicated in his decision to get rid of Aubameyang and acknowledge that we needed someone better, somebody that was going to bring more to the table, somebody that was going to bring more to the team. Because Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang did nothing, nothing at all. Chelsea tried to play balls in behind for him. Didn't have the pace to get away from Saliba or away from Gabriel. They tried to put him into aerial duels with our centre-halves and I don't think he came out on top once. They tried to sort of stick him in a position where he could drift out to the left and get on the ball in the way that he used to do for Arsenal. And Ben White didn't allow it to happen. He was totally null and void today. He was totally ineffective. This is a guy who half of our fan base, maybe not half, maybe a little bit less than that, were crying about just months ago. This is a guy that people said our manager was a disgrace for getting out. This is a guy that disrespected the football club, not just the his teammates, but the fans by not being professional, by not being... Um, you know, the captain and the leader that he was being paid to be and the leader that we all thought he was. And and Arsenal fans were were in a position just months ago where they would prefer to sit there and slag off the manager for taking that decision as opposed to looking at the situation for what it was. It was clear months before that that Arsenal as a football team had evolved away from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. That was clear as day. If you take any interest, any, um, you know, any pleasure in sort of sitting back and looking at the tactical structures in football matches and, you know, really kind of homing in on the, on the patterns of play, you would have seen that Aubameyang for Arsenal became obsolete. He did. And so what I say to those people who were not the people that were, you know, I'm not sure about this, you know, let's see how it goes and and we're respectful about it. But the people that were sitting online and calling our manager a disgrace and a shambles and, you know, someone who's egotistical and someone who, uh, you know, couldn't put the good of the team first and was only thinking about himself and wanted desperately to win this battle with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. All of those people that were overly critical of our manager in the way that he handled that situation and were calling for his head off the back of it. Get back in your box because Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang He's finished. He's a spent force. And tonight, uh, today, I beg your pardon, proved that. You know, he's been poor in a number of Chelsea games this season, right? But today, when you watch 
what he did at one end of the pitch and you watch what Jesus offered at the other end of the pitch. Now, none of them scored. So we're not even talking about goals here. We're not talking about even end product, but we're talking about the contribution of both of those two players to their teams today. They're worlds apart. You can't make that comparison. Gabriel Jesus is on a totally different planet to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, even while he's going through a goal drought, even while he's struggling to find the back of the net. Aubameyang, you know, I, I, I said to you guys in the preview, like I don't have that massive hatred towards Aubameyang. Like I don't have that fire that I had when Van Persie went to United or anything like that. That That isn't there for me. But I, I did enjoy watching him waltz around the pitch today, offering very little. I did enjoy, you know, watching him try and sneak off the side of the pitch after Arsenal had scored so as not to face the wrath of the away fans and to be ironically uh, cheered as he made his way off the pitch. I enjoyed all of that. You know why? More so because of what it meant for Mikel Arteta, that it vindicated Mikel Arteta's decision, that it justified that decision to the people that doubted it at the time. So, yeah, great to see. Really, really good. And uh, listen, Pierre, it's not personal, but you're spent, you know, eight touches uh, as uh, as Paul raises, eight touches. Offered nothing. People will talk about the service. Nah. If you're not getting the service, then you work. You work hard. You drift into different areas. You move into other areas of the park so that you can get on the ball, so that you can get involved in the game. You don't just stand up there like a dummy and wait for things to come and fall on your lap. And that's what Aubameyang was doing towards the end of his Arsenal career as well. Did he press? Did you ever see him press? Nope. He kind of half-assed tried it once and ended up, you know, coming in to Ben White quite late with a sliding challenge, which saw him go into the book. But that was about as far as his involvement went this afternoon. So as I say, Mikel Arteta perfectly vindicated in his decision not just with the sort of disciplinary stuff, but from a football perspective, first and foremost, to look at Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang at that point, look at the way the team was evolving and say, this is not working. And so let's move him on. And don't get me wrong, that had a part to play, of course, in the way that things went down towards the end. There's no doubt in my mind that had Aubameyang been relevant to the way the team was evolving, had Aubameyang been sharp, had Aubameyang been contributing to the level that we all know he could have done in the past, that maybe he'd have gotten more leeway with regards to some of those issues. But he weren't performing and he wasn't being professional. And so off he had to go. And uh, and it was great to uh, great to see, as I say, him turn up and do nothing. Our striker, on the other hand, despite not even scoring a goal, putting in a real stellar performance and, and helping his team through a, uh, an afternoon that could prove significant come the end of the season. Anyway, look, let's run through the team. Aaron Ramsdale. I mean, I don't remember Aaron Ramsdale having to make any kind of special save this afternoon at Stamford Bridge, which is a testament to the way we defended. What I will say about Aaron Ramsdale is he was very composed uh, when the ball was played back to him in some pressured situations this afternoon. Uh, you know, at times he, he gives you a bit of a heart attack. He worries you, he panics you. There was one time where he played a pass into Partey, who was under pressure, and he played it to Saliba, who was also under pressure, and we just got ourselves in a bit of a bit of a mess. But generally speaking, I thought Ramsdale was was really good today, really solid. Ben White again, immense, immense, you know, so strong, so physical, so you know, willing to compete on a physical level. And never shies away from any sort of challenge. A massive shithouse as well, which I absolutely love and adore. And the way he has adapted to that right-back role is, honestly, is superb, isn't it? You know, the way he tucks in and defends narrow when we need him to. The way he has an understanding with William Saliba. So that, you know, if one ventures out of position slightly, the other can cover. But also the way he just turns on the burners and gallops forward and you know, arrives on the outside of Bukayo Saka from time to time as he looks to bring the ball in field. It's just brilliant to see. And um, again, a thoroughly enjoyable performance from him. Moving into the centre of the defence, William Saliba, flawless today. Absolutely flawless. Was given the Man of the Match award 
by BT Sport. And you have to say, it's difficult to argue with it, right? I think there was actually a couple of candidates in the Arsenal side, maybe more. But he was, you know, you can understand why they've given it to him. Calmness personified, coolness personified. Every time he was called upon, again, strong, physical, powerful, reads the game brilliantly. Every single duel he had with the striker, whether that be Aubameyang at the beginning, where he was kind of reading where the ball was going at times. He'd get his body in the right position, hold off Aubameyang. He and Gabriel would combine sometimes and, um, you know, just show off their understanding. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, it's just it, his performances are, you know, amazing. He's had a couple of games of late just in that month of October where I looked at him and I went, OK, you know, you've been flawless up until now. I'm almost waiting for something to happen that makes me see that you're human. And there were a couple of moments during that period of time. But the fact that he's been able to put that past him and then deliver a performance like today's at a place like Stamford Bridge just shows you what a special player we have on our hands. Gabriel, for all the shit that people have given him over the last month or, or longer, you know, he shut a lot of people up today. He silenced a lot of critics. Again, unbelievably strong in the challenge. Very good with his distribution. And the other thing that I always say about Gabriel that I think people often miss and, and often goes under the radar is that particularly when Zinchenko plays, he's got a much bigger area of pitch to cover because he has to come out to that left-hand side quite a bit in order to plug that hole when teams win the ball back against us and when teams look to break on us. Because often when that happens, Zinchenko will be in a more advanced position and will be in a more central position. And so, as I say, when you judge Gabriel, take into consideration the task he has, and it's a harder task, I would say, than the one that Saliba has because of how different Ben White and Zinchenko play on the two sides. So you've got to be aware of that. You've got to make sure that you take that into consideration when you talk about Gabriel. And, and today, you know, again, he delivered. Left-back Zinchenko, a couple of moments with Zinchenko where I was a little bit worried, a little bit concerned. Wondered if, if he was up to the pace of the game, having been out for such a long period. And I'm not talking about pre-game. I'm talking about during it as well. Just a couple of moments, but gave us control in midfield. Defended admirably for the most part and got to 70 or so or so minutes, which is way more than I expected, given how long uh, he's uh, he's been out for. But you could see. So I was in the press box at Stamford Bridge today and it's literally the position that you're in um, is is literally above the tunnel and you've got both the two dugouts. So you can see really clearly what's going on in front of you. And Zinchenko comes off and he comes over to the side of the pitch and he gives Kieran Tierney this massive hug uh, before he comes on. And you can see by Zinchenko's face how pumped he is, how desperate he was for Arsenal to make sure that they saw the game out and go on and take all three points. And you can see how involved this guy is without having been involved on the pitch, per se, in recent times. He's a great character to have around the place. And we constantly talk about Mikel Arteta and how much he values certain characters, how much he wants certain types of people in and around the group. And Zinchenko certainly ticks those boxes, as well as being an incredibly talented footballer. A uh, big thank you to Michael O'Shea for your very, very kind Super Chat donation. I will get to your comments. We will do your questions in a little bit, but I just want to make sure that I um, that I keep my flow uh, which is why I'm not pausing for the comments every two seconds, but we will get there, I promise. Uh, moving into the midfield, Thomas Partey. Again, I think I said to you guys, which game was it? Was it against Liverpool? Was it against Forest? I can't remember which one it was, but after one of those games, I said to you guys that I think when he's fit, when he's firing, he's up there among the best midfielders in the world. I think he might be the best number six in the Premier League. I genuinely think that. And the more I watch him, the more I convince myself that that is the case. He was absolutely unreal today. Receiving the ball off of the back line, dropping into those spaces, progressing the ball with line breaking passes, not afraid to chip one left, chip one right, ping balls out to the wingers, control the ball in tight spaces, hold off challenges when Chelsea had clearly come up with a plan to try and stop him getting on the ball and try and stop him operating in those areas. It didn't phase him. 
and he was superb. And, you know, again, I feel like I'm just going to say the same words about so many players. So I'll hurry up a little bit with the others. But he just, you know, he just makes everything look so simple. And that's what you want in your midfielder. Odegaard, not as creative as he can be today. Um, really should have done better with that opportunity that he had in the second half where he received the ball on the edge of the box and he just cut back inside onto his left foot. Edouard Mendy was in no man's land and he had to, had to chip it over the top of him and find the back of the net. And he did try that. He did attempt that. For a player of his technical level, I expect him to have executed that. But it ended up going over the top of the bar. That was frustrating. Uh, but other than that, he worked incredibly hard for the team, was a big part of the press. And that's the thing with Odegaard. You know, people slag him off. People say he doesn't produce enough. I see that so many times in the comments. I see that all over social media. But at the end of the day, as I always say, when you don't get a lot out of Odegaard in terms of end product necessarily, which isn't often the case, you still get 150% in terms of his work rate in terms of him carrying out the tactical instructions provided to him by his manager. And that's why he's the captain. Xhaka, again, unbelievable. Again, in those half spaces, attacking, giving Arsenal another dynamic, but also getting back, doing his defensive duties. A little bit of housery from him as well towards the end of the game where he had that coming together with Trevor Shalabar in front of the Arsenal fans. He was... I was looking at that situation and I, I, I was thinking to myself... I know there's only a couple of minutes to go, but I'm looking down the line and I'm going, don't. Granite, there's no need. Just don't. You know, there's no need for you to get sucked into this. But he does. And that's because he cares so much. And Mikel Arteta said in his press conference after the game that Xhaka just needs to enjoy it sometimes, which suggested that maybe he's just a little bit too intense at times and he can't drop that side of him, his personality um, to kind of enjoy and celebrate moments. But then he certainly enjoyed the post-match stuff where he was standing in front of a packed away end at Chelsea, all singing his name and in which he dropped, <laughs> sorry, doing an interview in which he dropped an F-bomb on live TV at two o'clock in the afternoon. Love it. Absolutely love it. He said the atmosphere was effing unbelievable and he was right in the Arsenal end. But yeah, it was just, it was amazing. Um, so good. And and that's just, you know, the F-bomb thing. Some people will moan about it. Some people will say, oh, that's ridiculous. He's a child, whatever. You know, just people that got nothing better to do. But ultimately, the fact that he did that on live TV, it kind of tells you, doesn't it, that he's so caught up in the moment and he's so caught up with the passions of it all that he doesn't think sometimes. And, you know, on the one hand, you want players to be able to curb their emotions. And you want players to be able to control themselves in certain situations. But at the same time, if you completely take that out of someone, then you're taking away something that often gives them the edge. And um, and Granite Xhaka needs to be that way to have the edge, I think. So I don't want to be uh, too critical of, of any of that. I don't want to be critical of it at all. I thought it, the F-bomb thing was funny. I mean, people that are precious about that need to get a life. Um, and, and the whole thing with Shalabot, well, you know, it was six of one, half a dozen of the other. And I expect him to defend his teammates and to defend his honours. As Stephen says in the chat, he's all hot. Absolutely. Then you take it on to the wide players who both worked tirelessly. Martinelli worked so damn hard. So hard. Unbelievably hard. Um, you know, he put himself about. He was on the receiving end of some nasty challenges. Um, I thought Chelsea, actually, for what it's worth, did quite a good job on him and Saka. And that's why that was a game that, you know, needed to be decided by a set piece. But the pair of them worked incredibly hard throughout and deserve immense credit for really standing up to a couple of bullies in Aspilicueta and Kukurea, really, who tried to rattle them and tried to, to cause them problems um, and tried to inflict damage on them and, and go back to the other side, Saka. I've got to get this off my chest about Bukayo Saka because it's really starting to piss me off. It's really starting to wind me up watching this every week. Why has Bukayo Saka got this reputation as a diver? Where has that come from? Where has that come from? It, it drives me nuts. It drives me insane. Why is he being refereed in a different way to other players? You know, why is he being treated differently? Harry Kane, who 
throws himself to the ground far more often and has won penalties in matches as a result of that and never been pulled up on it, seems to get away with it at will. Hyunmin Son is another one who's got away with it time and time again. Mo Salah, Sadio Mane in previous years. None of them were ever refereed in the way that Bukayo Saka is currently being refereed. And this shit has to stop. And actually, there was a part of me sitting in Mikel Arteta's press conference this afternoon that wanted him to address that, that wanted him to go on a bit of a rant about it, just to kind of make that point, to make the point that the treatment that Bukayo Saka is getting is un- unacceptable. Because not only does he get accused of going down too easily, not only does he get booked for diving when he's clearly not a diver, but he gets kicked the shit out of on a weekly basis and he doesn't get the protection from the referee that he needs. This is an England star. Now, I'm not saying there should be favourable treatment to England stars, but there usually is. So why doesn't Bukayo Saka get the benefit of that? It drives me nuts. And as I say, I wanted Mikel Arteta to address it. He was asked the question in the press conference and he said Bukayo is not a diver. He said it straight up. And then Graham Potter, because I stayed for Graham Potter's press conference as well. I just wanted to see the tears, really. Um, Graham Potter was asked if he was signalling to the officials that Saka had dived, which he was on the touchline at the time because I saw it with my own eyes. And he said... Well, there was there was one questionable action. And I was referring to that, but I don't think he's a diver. I don't think he's that type of player. Talk about backtracking. He was literally standing on the sideline, making out that Bukayo Saka was the biggest <laughs> diver in the history of football. And um, maybe in the history of Olympic swimming as well. I don't know. But it yeah, it was um, it was embarrassing from him. And uh, he backtracked in the press conference, as I say. I know in the emotion of a game, you get caught up and you say things and you do things. But it was important that he was asked that question so that he could then himself, you know, clarify that he doesn't actually think he's a diver. Because otherwise, then that whole narrative around Saka, it just continues into the next week and the next and the next and the next. Um, Gabby Jesus, I mentioned him a little bit earlier on. I've done that comparison between him and Aubameyang spoke about the comparison between them. Again, look, he should have scored in the first half with a header. He should have scored in the second half as well when he won the ball back off of Thiago Silva. It was actually the the move that led to the corner from which we scored. So again, he's contributed massively, right? He's contributed massively. His aggression and willingness to press and try and win the ball back high up the pitch is ultimately what created the chance that then led to the corner that then led to Arsenal going on a win in the match. So his contribution was still significant despite not scoring a goal. But I mean, I've never watched an Arsenal striker go through a duration without scoring like this and been less worried in my life. Genuinely, I'm not worried about it. I'm really not. Obviously, we'd we'd prefer him to score goals. Obviously, we'd prefer to have someone a little bit stronger than Nketiah, in my opinion, who could come off the bench and, and you know, give him a bit of a breather and, and just take him out of the, the firing line for a bit. But everything else that he brings, the energy, the work rate, the know-how, the experience, the sharpness, the amount of times he will have a ball pinged into him. His touch won't be immaculate first time, but then he's got that sharpness to even still nick in and get a touch on it before the defender and win a free kick in a dangerous area, in or around the penalty area. He's so good at that, Gabby Jesus. He's just a superb player, and he's taken our attack to a whole new level, even without scoring goals. I said this the other day on the preview. Even without scoring goals, he's still scored more goals in the Premier League so far this season than Alexander Lacazette managed last season throughout the entire campaign. So a bit of context there for you when people are kind of going overboard. He started so well. It was going to level out a little bit. Just a quick word on Chelsea. Uh, Rob says, I predict Potter won't last the season. I mean, when I watched him today in his press conference, he looked confused. He looked as though he didn't really know where to go from here. And I've said on on a number of shows that I've done on on the radio, whatever, that for me, um, one of my issues with Potter at the moment is that he can't seem to nail down a team that he wants to go with most weeks or even close to it. He can't seem to settle on a formation, on a system. And I think that 
that make means they're going to struggle to find the continuity that they need. It means they're going to struggle to find the rhythm quickly. If that rhythm is constantly disrupted and if the continuity isn't there, how do you build relationships on the pitch? You know, in the way that Arsenal do. I mean, you look at it, you look at the Arsenal team right now, you look at the strength that they have. Look around that team, it's all partnerships, it's all combination. It start up front. You look at how Martinelli and Jesus always know where one another are going to be. You look at Saka and Odegaard, how Odegaard drifts out to that side and the pair always know what each other plan to do and they're always on the same wavelength. You look in the heart of the defence and you look at that partnership now between Saliba and Gabriel. Partnerships and cohesion and an understanding of one another's game is so important in this, in this sport. And if you keep making changes and if you keep chopping and changing it, how are you ever supposed to develop that? So, yeah. Uh, you know what? Before we continue, I'm just going to give you guys a little nudge to make sure that you've hit the like button. There's over 500 of you with me live right now, which is amazing because it's a Sunday night. And I know most people would prefer to be with their families and friends than me. But great to see so many of you here. Please do leave a like on the video. Um, let's try and get up to 250 likes by the time the stream ends. Uh, also, please do subscribe to the channel if you're brand new. And if you want to go one further and gain access to our members' content, well, you know what to do. You can access the Chronicles of Aguna Premium by following the instructions in the description. There's plenty of members' content already on there waiting for you, and there's a new bit uh, dropping very, very soon as well. Got a very special interview coming up on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. It's just been booked, and we are going to release it early to our members. So if you want to get ahead of that, then uh, make sure that you sign up uh, via the link in the description below. Okay, let's talk about the goal. So I was doing the commentary for the goal, and uh, and obviously the corner comes in, and I couldn't work out where the Sackers cross had crossed the line before Gabriel got something on it. Initially, I called the goal as Gabriel's goal, and I'm so glad I did because as a commentator, if you get that wrong, it's a nightmare. There's almost like a shame and an embarrassment in having to correct your mistake on something as important and as significant as a goal scorer. So when I called it as Gabriel's goal and everybody around me was kind of looking at the monitors, I was just praying that he did get that touch before it crossed the line. And he did in the end. But what a delivery from Saka. Whipped it in at the near post excellently. Bad defending from Chelsea. You have to say that. Mendy, should he let that go across his goal? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, so I think it was poor defending. But Arsenal were competitive today. Arsenal were dominant. Arsenal were in control. And if if you have control of a football match, you're less likely to lose it. Why? Because you don't give up as much possession from which the opposition could potentially score. You don't give up as many chances. You don't give up the impetus. You don't give encouragement to your opponents. And what Arsenal did was strangle Chelsea today to the point where, you know, we got our little bit of luck, our little rub of the green with the way the goal kind of came about. But, you know, because we were competitive, it was a game that only needed a single goal. Because we battled, because we fought hard, we could nick it in the way that we did. If you don't play that way, if you don't compete, if you don't battle, if you don't fight, then, you know, you don't have that luxury of winning games by the small margins. And, and that's the luxury that we give ourselves nowadays because we do go into games and there is a work rate. There is an ethic. There is a, a team ethic. There is a desire to win. You, you saw it when the goal went in, the celebrations from the Arsenal players in front of the travelling away support were unbelievable. Beautiful to see. The post-match celebrations too. I know there's a lot of celebration police out there, so uh, we don't want to upset them and we've got to be careful what we say. But you can see what it means to these guys to win. You can see some of the reactions. You could see even sort of out of the camera shots. I, I was Obviously, I was at the game. You kind of look to your right. You can see people on the bench celebrating together. You could see that there's a real togetherness and unity to this Arsenal side that's been developing for a little while. At times today, it felt like a game of chess, particularly in the first 15, 20 minutes. I felt like Arsenal were kind of would jab Chelsea a little bit. Chelsea would then have a couple of moments where they looked like they could hurt us. And then the pendulum would swing back the other way. But after that period, I'd say particularly in the second half, Arsenal were 
by far the superior team. They nullified so many of Chelsea's threats. They dominated a very experienced Chelsea midfield um, with Jorginho at the heart of it and, um, and were fully deserving of the victory. Arteta is a class act. He really, really is. I know that if he's not your manager and he's acting the way he does on the touchline, it probably winds you up. Um, you know, every decision, he makes a big deal of it. He kicks off. He, he's literally standing on the touchline sometimes to the point where he gets in the way, I think, of his players and what they're trying to do at times. Um, you know, he just... I was sitting there today, right? So as I said to you guys earlier on, it was absolutely pissing it down in West London. And obviously the technical area is not covered. And Mikel Arteta wasn't wearing a big coat or anything like that. He was wearing that black jumper uh, that I'm sure you've seen him pictured in a 101 times. I'm convinced that when Mikel Arteta opens his wardrobe in the morning, it's literally those black jumpers, then the grey trousers, and then the black shoes with the white soles. That's basically how I envisage Mikel Arteta's wardrobe. The same outfit for every single day of the week. <laughs> All Armani stuff, of course. But he stood in that technical area in the latter stages of that game, getting absolutely soaked by the rain in just the jumper. And I guess, look, to some people that will be insignificant, right? They, they won't give a shit about this. But I think this is significant. Because if you're a player and, you know, you know that you've got seven, eight, nine minutes left of a really important game, you've got your noses in front, it will be a massive result if you can get over the line. And you're just struggling a little bit. You're just feeling a little bit tired. You just, you know, you get into that point where your body's starting to let you down and, and you need to mentally stay switched on. You're mentally tired as well. To look over and see a manager on the touchline, who's so animated, who's always demanding more from you, who's orchestrating the movement of this team, who is as passionate, if not more passionate than those on the pitch, who is sending a message, in my opinion, to everybody that represents his team. I'm in this with you. I think that's powerful. I think that's really powerful. You know, he kicks every ball, he he feels every moment. And that unity that we talk about within the group, it comes from him because he sends that message from the touchline. He transmits that point across to his players. Amazing. Amazing. And, you know, he's learning fast. He is. He's learning with every passing week. The substitution, something that he's been very heavily criticised for in the past, I thought was spot on today. Tierney comes on at the right time. El Nini comes on to replace Odegaard and give us a little bit more defensive balance at the right time. And then, of course, the famous Rob Holding substitution right at the death as well. Great to see. Let's check in where we're at on the likes. Uh, there's over 550 of you with us now live, but we've only got 200 likes on the board. I asked for 250. Come on, let's get up to 250 uh, by the time the stream is over. But now is the time for you guys to get your questions in. Um, I've probably missed loads of stuff that I wanted to talk about because I'm just buzzing. I, I really am. I'm buzzing. And um, it was kind of hard for me today, actually, because I was, as I say, when you're covering the game on the radio, you know, you can't be Harry Simu, the Arsenal fan, right? You're Harry Simu, the reporter who's at the game, giving a picture of what's going on to everybody, the reporter, the commentator, whatever. So you've got to be quite mindful of that. And I find that quite difficult in certain games. I didn't find it difficult against Nottingham Forest. You know, Arsenal cruising, it's a one-sided affair. Great. But in a game like today and in games like the game against Liverpool, when I was also working, I do find it really difficult. And my reaction or, or my instinct when the ball went in the back of the net after shouting over the goal was to jump up and give it a massive fist pump in the press area. But you can't do that. And that's, I, I love my job. I adore it, right? I'm so privileged to do it. I'm so grateful. Like yesterday, as I said to you guys, Saturday this is, I was really tired. I was shattered. I was feeling under the weather. I was feeling battered, bruised, beaten. Like I just wanted to just get into bed and just sleep for 15 hours. That's how I felt. Because sometimes, you know, when you're doing a lot of work for different people and you're doing a lot of hours, it can catch up with you. And i got two really young kids as well who are, I absolutely love, but are hard work and, you know, impact our sleep, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
But I had that yesterday, that feeling when I was at QPR. And then I thought to myself, I'm getting paid to watch football and talk about football. I'm, I sound like a spoiled brat complaining. But if there's one complaint I do have, it's not a complaint. It's one thing that I, I, I do miss doing this job is that ability to go absolutely fucking mental when your team scores away from home. Now, I couldn't do that today. So I missed it. I did. Um, but believe me, all the pride uh, was felt. All the passion was felt. Just had to keep it under wraps a little bit. But anyway, uh, we move. Right. Let's uh, take a very, very short pause. I'm talking two seconds and then we'll take some of your questions. Start filling up the chat box. OK, let's see what you guys are saying in the live chat box. Um, lots of you prompting the likes. That's what I like to see. Is it a bit of peer pressure? That's what I like to see. Um, somebody asked a little bit earlier on about the refereeing performance. I just want to touch on that before we continue through the chat box, because I think actually, you know, I'm I'm normally the first one to be critical of Premier League referees, because I think, quite frankly, most of them are poor. But I thought Michael Oliver had a good game today, generally speaking. There were a couple of things I didn't agree with. I thought the one that stands out in particular was that coming together between Saka and Kukurea, for which Kukurea went unpunished and then Saka obviously got up and made a bit of a revenge tackle on him, for which he was then booked. I thought that the first decision was the wrong one. I, I don't dispute that Saka deserved the booking for that challenge coming in from behind, et cetera, et cetera. But the first call there was probably the only wrong one that I can really remember of note. So fair play to Michael Oliver. As I say, I don't often praise referees, but I didn't think uh, there was anything really to moan about today. Um, let me see what we've got in the chat. Uh, Omar says, uh, can we talk about Mr. Keys? He had nothing to discuss except trying to get Arteta penalised about being outside of his technical area. Yeah, I saw this tweet. Um, I was sitting next to a, a, an absolute gentleman, Alvaro Romeo. Um, you've probably heard him on the Totally Football Show if you listen to that Spanish football correspondent commentator as well. And we, and we were talking and he showed me uh, he showed me that post. And um, yeah, it's just laughable, isn't it? I mean, yeah, Arteta does come out of his technical area. He does cross that line a little bit. He does push the boundaries, but so do many other managers and so have many other managers over the years. I mean, come on, stop being so precious. It's not like someone's going to get hurt. Jesus. Um, what else have we got in the chat? Uh, Deepak says, do you think Newcastle would be the catalyst of the title challenge? The game for City and us against Newcastle and the result against them decides whether we're in the title challenge? Uh, no, look, I still don't see Newcastle as being in the title challenge. They're doing brilliantly. Fair play to them. They're doing really, really well. I don't even make them nailed on for the Champions League. So how can I say that they're in the title race? I think they're, they're doing well and I think they're moving in the right direction and, and things are really, really positive for them at the moment. But as I said to you guys earlier, I'm not even thinking about the title because I, I refuse to get sucked in, lured in when I know that the World Cup has the potential to maybe be a plus, maybe be a positive, but also has the potential to be a problem for us as well. So until that's out of the way, I don't even want to discuss the prospect of challenging for the title. I'm not there yet. I'm very much at the point of every win is another step towards our goal at the start of the season, which was to get back in the Champions League. And every time we pick up points and the teams around us fail to, we increase that gap and we give ourselves a little bit more breathing space. That's how I look at it. Genuinely speaking, I'm not just playing it down because I don't want to be laughed at online if I say it and then we fail. Honestly, I genuinely am not there yet. I'm getting closer. Believe me, I am. But I'm still, feel, I'm still I beg your pardon, fearful of what one or two big injuries does to us. Richie Tuff says, uh, thoughts on that penalty appeal for me? His foot was in the box when there was contact. Um, I didn't think it was in the box from what I saw at the time. I haven't come home and watched it yet. I am going to watch Match of the Day a little bit later on. So I'd be lying if I said um, I knew for certain. But initial thoughts were that it was outside the box based on the replay as well that I had in front of me on the little monitor. 
Wes Bird says, I think Man City would have been gutted that we won today, but every time we get another win under our belt, it enhances our chances of finishing top four and we continue to build momentum. Absolutely. Uh, Lord Gunner says, what do you think of Tottenham? You all know the answer to that. Uh, look, just a quick word on Tottenham. We're going to kind of do a weekend review podcast tomorrow and, and we'll break down the other results and the other games and what they mean for us and how we see them from an Arsenal standpoint. But they can't keep starting games really poorly and almost gifting people two goal leads and then wonder why they're not getting results. What frustrates me, though, is that when it's Arsenal, it's, oh, you know, they started a game really badly or Arsenal weren't up for this today or Arsenal are no good. They're soft-centred, got a soft underbelly. All of those narratives that we've heard a million and one times. Yet when it's Tottenham putting up a bit of a fight, having gone two goals down, because quite frankly, they were shit in the first half. It's, oh, look at Antonio Conte and the spirit that his team have shown. Look at Tottenham. Good old fight in Tottenham. Nah, they're they're really poor at the moment. Their performances have been awful. And, you know, now the results are starting to match the performances in a lot of ways. And they've been fortunate to get away with it in the past. And, and that luck is running out, in my opinion. Francis says, hi, Harry, long-time podcast listener, first-time viewer. Welcome along, Francis, to the YouTube channel. Hope you're good, mate. Uh, thank you so much for your support. Really, really appreciate it. He says, I think we're the real deal. And a lot of it is down to player mentality management by Arteta. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Uh, he also says, knowing the difference in supporting a 19-year-old versus a 30-year-old is a really underrated skill. Yeah, you know, some people need tough love. Some people need an arm around them. Some people need to kick up the backside. Some people need a quiet word. That's that's, you know, the nature of us as human beings. There's all different personalities that you need to deal with. And I think Mikel Arteta at the beginning probably struggled a little bit on the man management front. I'm not saying that everything he's ever done has been perfect. I think there have been things that you can question him for. Absolutely. There's no question about that. But he's getting better. And the fact that this group is so invested and have bought into what he's doing and seem to listen and seem to, you know, take it all in and, and have built a unity off the back of that and a a strength as a unit which sees us now you know be able to go and compete you know we've beaten Tottenham we've beaten Liverpool we've beaten Chelsea this season we should have beaten Manchester United on another day we do but yeah you're right you know it, it does feel like we're a lot closer to being the real deal but what is the real deal that depends doesn't it on what your aspirations are where you expect this team to be um and I think that well, I'm not in that position yet where I want to get a little bit. Uh, I don't, how do I put this? I'm not in the position where I want to allow myself to get carried away, basically. So, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, mate. Uh, Mohammed says, great win and performance. We are happy, but we need to kill the matches. We had many chances and that will come with maturity and adding another extra quality winger to give us a variety of quality. Totally agree. We, You know, you do want to kill these matches off. You can't rely on winning these games by the old goal all the time. And we do need alternative options from the bench in order to backfill some of the forward positions, attacking positions. I completely agree. Matt says, uh, with White, Tommy, Zinni and Tierney, do we have the best collection of fullbacks in the league? You, you could argue that for sure. I mean, we've got two fantastic left backs. We've got two fantastic centre backs that play at right back. We've even got Cedric Suarez. Let's throw him in the mix. Buy White, Tommy, Zinni and Tierney and get Cedric Suarez for free. <laughs> nice one, mate. Yeah, it's, it's a great it's a great point. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Jack says, I've been feeling for a while now that we need to consider switching up the tactics when we play with Tierney. Well, it's clear that Tierney can't do that inverted role. Um, you know, in the way that Zinchenko can. And that has been the main reason, I would say, that Tierney's found himself out of the team. Tactical. Not because he's been bad, not because he's poor, not because he's not committed, not because he's not got the right attitude. It's because of that. It's because of the tactical, you know, ability that he had. No, I don't, I don't even want to call it ability. It's because of the way... He plays the game because of the fact that he's a traditional fullback. And perhaps it's taken him a little bit longer to get to grips with what Mikel Arteta wants in this new 
game model because look, it's changed, right? That's the thing you got to say with Mikel Arteta. Things have changed over a period of time. Things have developed and he's changed certain elements of our game along the way because he's discovered that they work better or whatever. And, And that's how it goes, right? Trial and error. But at the start of the season, I think, well, actually, prior to Zinchenko being signed, the inverted fullback was more often the one on the right side. And when I say inverted, I mean tucked in alongside the centre-backs as opposed to going into the midfield. And then Zinchenko came along and showed Mikel Arteta the possibility because of what he'd been able to do at Manchester City, because of the fact he knows him well. He essentially opened Mikel Arteta's eyes to the fact that we could then do this here. And if we do it here, it gives us additional dominance in the midfield. Therefore, we control more of football matches. Therefore, we stand a greater chance of winning them. And so, yeah, Tierney gives us something different. He's a great defender. I really, really like him. I don't want him to go anywhere. But Zinchenko just gives us another dynamic, a dynamic that's really working for us at the moment. Joe says, can we talk about Harry? <laughs> You're everywhere asking questions to Arteta. I did ask him a question the other night. That's right. Uh, after the Zurich game, a few people sent me a message saying, oh, well done. So thank you. Uh, he said, I see you in the press box on a Gunner blog video. Did you? Uh, I was sitting a few seats down from Gunner blog today. He said hello to him as well for the first time. Really nice guy. He said, uh, Joe says, sorry, big up to you. Wish you more success. Thank you so, so much, mate. Uh, Vlad says, not to be a negative Nancy, but I've got a feeling you're going to be. But who's our weakest player so far this season from the starting 11? Harsh as it sounds, but for me, it's probably Ramsdale. Um, look, I think Ramsdale has got some shortcomings. I think everybody has. And I think one of the skills a manager requires is to be able to understand and identify someone's shortcomings and then play in a way or fit them in in a way that reduces the risk of those shortcomings becoming a problem. And I think with somebody like Aaron Ramsdale, there are some things that I look at him in it and I think, what are you doing? And, you know, sometimes I think he can be a little bit cocky, a little bit arrogant, a little bit, in the, and not to the point where I'm annoyed about it, but, you know, these are just observations. But then I think about the way he distributes the ball. And I think about his skill set. And I think about how important that is to the bigger picture and to the way we play. And I actually think, no, he's the perfect fit. So I don't want to say that Ramsdale's a weakling. I think when we've got the 11 that we have today, everybody fit, everybody firing. I don't think there is a weakling. The problem is, and, and why I, I still can't commit to saying Arsenal will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season is because of the fact that I fear what happens when that 11 starts getting broken up, when it starts being chipped away at by a really demanding schedule. That's what scares me. Uh, I'm going to take just a couple more questions uh, because there are loads coming through and I've, I've got to, um, I've got to uh, get off, but um, just blocking the spam in the chat. Anyone looking for hot girls? There's a link in the chat, apparently. Um, What else we got? Right. Let's take, a couple more. I'm just going to pick them at random. So please don't uh, be upset or offended if I don't come to your question. It isn't that deep. Uh, Zed Tom says, Harry, I just say that Tierney can't play the inverted role well yet. He's young and that's a recent tactic. The lad is still working and learning every week in training. He can get good at it. Oh, absolutely. I'm not for a second um, dismissing him. I'm not dismissing his ability to be able to adapt. I just think right now, um, you know, Zinchenko just does it at a different level and, and that's that's where we're at. Uh, <laughs> uh, Elia says, where the hot girl's at? Wesbird says, Mr. W says, yes. Yeah, there was basically, there was a bit of spam in the chat from someone posting about a link to find hot girls, obviously. Um, not the kind of link you want to be clicking on, but anyway. Uh, okay, I think I'm going to take one more. Let's take this one from Joe. Who says, I still think that Tierney will play a big role in the second half of the season. Zinchenko and Tommy Asu might not be fully fit. Yeah. With the injury problems that we've had with some of those players, we have to be prepared to to use Kieran Tierney. He still will play a big part. Um, yeah. Love it. Okay. I think I'm going to leave it there. We've been going for an hour. 
We've been waxing lyrical about all things Arsenal. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode. We'll be uh, talking more about this game. We'll be reflecting a little bit deeper on this one, but we'll also be rounding up the rest of the weekend's results. And of course, on Tuesday, we'll start our build-up towards that Carabao Cup game with Brighton on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday night, there won't be a show at the normal time of 7pm. However, uh, we will, of course, bring you something post the Carabao Cup fixture uh, from the ground. And then the podcast, the reaction podcast will come in the morning. And then, of course, on Thursday night, Friday evening, we'll start building up towards the last Premier League game before the World Cup break. Can you believe it? Arsenal's trip to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Looking forward to that now, especially off the back of today's result. Let's have a quick check in where we're at on the likes. We asked for 250 and we got to 260. So thank you all so, so much. Make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you leave a like on the video. If you're listening in podcast format, then make sure that you leave us a review. Love to every single one of you. Have a great Monday. Walk into work with a smile on your faces after another big Arsenal victory. The Gunners are top of the Premier League. All the best. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.